Hey, where'd you guys go on my ninth? You ducked out on my ninth. You just left me. High I, and dry. I can't count that high. <sighs> I, got, I count to eight. That's unfortunate. Eight I, bars, eight measures. I drifted in and out, honestly. Super eight. Well, the sentiment it's, is the same. It's the 150th episode special. I want support. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it's important to you, too. Oh, it's way more important to me. That's why I'm giving you oh, shit. Oh, now, now we're really throwing our balls around on how much we care about our own mutual products. You stay yeah. away from That's my great. balls, damn it. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're the same exact length from each other's balls. It's 450 episodes straight. That's true. Yeah. Uh, With no. minute differences and minute scene changes and studio changes. But I think so we've forth. always been the same distance apart. That's true. Yeah, no, yeah, true. Eyes locked. I'm breathing heavy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Every once in a while, you know, heaving. My mind's <laughs> just going. We're making John awkward. Well, it's it's clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Uh, this entire time we've been doing <laughs> no, this. No, clown to the left of you, joker to the right. This is a singular case. Thank you. Not if I cross my eyes, then it's double vision. That That's true, actually. That, that is very true. We have to fit the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Of course, welcome to the podcast. I'm Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. Um, this is our, as we said, our 150th episode special. It's been three years that we've been doing the podcast. Um, as of a few weeks from when this comes out, it'll be one year anniversary of Crash Chords Autographs, our first spinoff podcast from the main show. And uh, we're excited to bring you yet another episode on the 50 mark where we do something a little different. Uh, for the 50th and the 100th, we did something a little different. And this time we're doing the same. Uh, Steve, why don't you let the audience know a little bit about it? All right. Well, first of all, they're a unique chance for a kind of reaffirmation of the mission statement. These episodes formally end our episodic season, and they're the midpoint of our review seasons, which sync up with the new year and culminate in our year in review episodes, which fall every episode uh, 25, 75, 125 for the naysayer. At some point, we're going to have to decide uh, how we're going to divvy up the box sets. Do you want to go by episodic or, or by review? Uh, we're going to have to do part one, part two season-wise in yeah. that sort of a situation. Well, Break I, it up by year, but, but like half a year. Ideally, we're going to have a fiscal season at some point. And maybe we can go by that. Right. Well, we have to be making money first. We well, can no, then, but then we'd be playing up the uh, Wall Street players way that they do. The banking well, we're going to have to consult them, and they'll be our lawyers. Well, that and lawyers and accountants. Well, both. Hopefully, one of them is a lawyer. I think. Well, just money guys. They're going to be our money guys. Money guys. All right. Yeah, we know a lot about money. Clearly. In either case, with the year in reviews focusing solely on the artists we look at and being the bulk of our work, we try to celebrate our birthday in a unique way every year, and of course, trying to stay up to date and self-aware in the process. So first, let's look at the first two of our anniversaries. The first anniversary slash fiftieth episode special was a reflection on our main subject, that subject, of course, being music. 
So we took a step out of our comfort zone and discussed music and its relationship with other forms of art, even going so far to pin them against each other, art versus music versus movies versus gaming and the like. While the second anniversary slash 100th episode special was a reflection on ourselves and on the Crash Chords podcast as a whole, essentially putting our own product right in our own analytical crosshairs. There you'll hear much about how we started, what we do, how we do it, what we're trying to do, and what we're not doing yet. Well, today's episode is another kind of reflection. It's a reflection on the power and breadth of the medium itself, the music podcast. So now the crosshairs are aimed at our peers, because you see, we're podcasts, you should know that, and it's a very broad and daunting form of media. It's redefining itself every day. There's no one way to go about a podcast, and yet there's probably a million wrong or unwise ways to go about a podcast, specifically a music podcast. And I don't mean the kinds that feature continuous playlists of music without any chatting. That's a great way to discover new music, but to me that's the work of folks who fancy themselves disc jockeys. It's a whole different animal. I'm talking about our immediate peers, those who discuss music, and we're going to be discussing the manner in which they discuss it and what they value. So before we go into them, let's get ourselves out of the way here. For any wandering podcaster, for us the values are very simple, if constantly in refinement. They are analysis, discussion, description, debate, review, cross-analysis, basically whatever we have to do to give these artists a fair shake and our listeners some kind of meaningful outlet, especially if they feel underwhelmed by the kind of knee-jerk reactions that many critics are trained to have and paid to contribute. Education is a much bigger part of our game, and we impart what we can, when we can, but ultimately, we're on two quests. A quest for substantial discourse, it's what we do, and a quest for fresh albums, most of which I think all three of us would admit to otherwise never unpacking with such blind devotion were it not for this mission. And these pillars make 150 episodes of this more than worthwhile, and we're constantly refining that approach. For others with the same passion, other tenets may yet guide their podcasting style. I'm going to get into a quick disclaimer here. The names that we're about to mention, the podcasts we're about to look at, by no means represent a comprehensive list. There's a lot of music podcasts out there, and this is merely our, in part, arbitrary selection of what stood out to us, and our review or our overview of what formats exist, what's possible, what works, what doesn't, what we like, what we don't, what we can learn from, what we should be doing. Well said. All right. All right. It was a mouthful. It was a mouthful. Even from my spiels, and I have spiels. That's true. You. you can spiel with the best of them. I can. Um, so, yeah, and also it's important to note, we might have some critiques of the podcast as far as from a listener standpoint, but we are by no means saying we're better than them. That's not the goal of this. The goal is to compare contemporaries within the medium. Exactly. Because it's hard to know what you're doing if you don't look at what's being done. It's, it's as I said, peers. You're on the same level, essentially. You're all trying to do a similar thing, but in a different way. We're going to start out with uh, a podcast called Song Exploder, which I feel is a more technical podcast. And we do tend to get pretty technical, but these guys, it's straight from the horse's mouth. It's from the artists themselves explaining how their songs are made and put together. And there's not much of a host present in the mix. I just want to take a moment to thank Nelson Lugo, who had actually recommended this podcast to me, though Steve had found it independently when we were at, uh, both of us were at Kita and Fernando's wedding, um, which congratulations to them. I guess I can say that on the air since we're mentioning it. Nelson was a guest to the wedding as well, and he mentioned Song Exploder. He's like, it's like what you guys do, but on the song level, and probably not that overly simplistic, which is pretty much fairly accurate. So thank you, Nelson, for suggesting that. Um, and uh, so let's get into Song Exploder. Um, I just want to say, 
me and Steve listened to different episodes. We did sample it a bit also before recording today. Um, I had picked an episode. We Although we had both independently picked episodes of bands that we had reviewed on the podcast previously. Exactly. And to go back to what you said about like overly simplistic, it, the, the thing is it's all relative. And if you look back through our compendium of podcasts and you go early on, yes, of course we were overly simplistic. We renewed what we did. Yeah. We're 150 episodes deep and you'll probably find some we were probably over complicating the matter sometimes. Sure. Um, but this is a different kind of thing. This is not really a matter of like... A critical analysis where you might be oversimplifying or, or overcomplicating. Instead, it's just a matter of the facts. This is how the song was made. You can't really get around that, and you're hearing it from the artists themselves. And that first point, uh, first person point of view, is a little bit different than what I'd come to know as as, as music reviews or uh, music designing or any of these discussions that we actually get to have on both this podcast and when we're listening to things. This first person point of view. I mean, it's straight from the horse's mouth, essentially. That's that's really love that phrase. <laughs> a, a, a very unique idea to hear a, a drummer or a guitarist or a vocalist actually saying, "Well, here's how we start, and to the next point, this is what we added on to it." But here's here's where the melody originally comes from. Well, here's their tagline: "Song Exploder, a podcast where musicians take apart their songs and piece by piece tell the story of how they were made." That's pretty basic. And the episodes reflecting that, they're rather short. They're, they're normally just as long as it would take to describe the demo process and as it leads through to the, uh, to the layering process and what other ideas came out in post-production. What's interesting also is the podcast opens with a snippet of that song that was chosen. Mm -hmm. Then often from there, they go to the bassist demo level of the first version of the song. Usually it's a piano line or a guitar riff, something very scratch and very simple. And then from there, they expand on each track and talk about it. But it start, you do get a little preview of what they're going to be talking about musically at the very beginning of the show. Right. Well, let's go to um, an episode that I looked at, which was, of course, also uh, in a band that we looked at, and that was Spoon. In this particular case, they had only one member of Spoon, and that was uh, Jim Eno, who was uh, the drummer. And he breaks down specifically, because they really only look at one song, so they look at one artist, and for the length of this, of this uh, podcast, of this episode, they look at just one song. In this case, this track was Inside Out and explained how it went from the original demo to the finished album version, uh, including what other music, it, like, sort of influenced the recording, or what influenced um, the, the process. Apparently, Spoon is really keen on, on developing things against, like, what other artists might do. So they might imagine, like, all right, uh, here's the my chordal progression, right? And he starts off just with the Bare Bones demo. The demo is uh, not what the drummer contributed, but uh, one of the other fellow band members just sits there with his upright piano and just starts hammering out a few chords. And once he's got that down, then he sings along, and you're just hearing this raw recording of upright piano and vocals. It sounds actually kind of beautiful in of itself. And then he hands that off to the band. So Jim, uh, Jim Eno described that as being his the first way he heard the song himself. What's nice about this is it's sort of like those songs you get in the demo uh, cuts, the release cuts, the sort of special edition CDs that a band will produce, you know, four or five albums in and uh, have the session pieces. Mm -hmm. This way you get an alternate version of the song. But through uh, these episodes, you're getting two, three, four different versions, and you actually see the evolutionary process. This is a, an incredible insight into uh, the workings of the mind of the artist for artists. And that's a really cool aspect of this uh, podcast is that as much as it's fun as a listener and a lover of a specific band or a specific song, it also is a cool tool 
for other artists to look at and to see, well, here's how they kind of went in this direction. Here's where they got their inspiration. How can I do things like that? And that in and of itself is, it's sort of a, a very, very friendly version of a how-to book. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's entirely educational. I think. I. I mean, some people may just be like, "Oh yeah, that's cool. I made it." But I, I feel like there has to be some kind of vested interest in this. That vested interest is is probably going to come from a fellow musician, especially someone who maybe feels like they're you know falling behind on like the how tos or they lack the technical knowledge. Well, there are processes to these things, and the processes are known by artists who've been in the business for a long time, and of course the music producer who also steps in here, and his name is Dave Friedman, uh, whose other credits are. Pretty substantial. They include the Flaming Lips album, Soft Bulletin, and uh, also the album Oracular Spectacular by MGMT. So, um, also important to note is that I had actually listened to a different episode than Steve. And something to note about this podcast is it's definitely one where you would go to it, look at the list of songs, and go, well, I know that band and that band and that band. I'm going to listen to those three episodes. Yeah. That's, Which there's that's nothing wrong with that. How people probably approach us. I mean, I guarantee. We realize that very, like, well, actually kind of late in the game. Remember when our episodes were. Didn't have the album. They yet. had just like Crash Course Podcast episode, you know, 19. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean for anybody? Of course, I had, we all had blurbs since the beginning, but, you know, blurbs, you have to go into it. Yeah, Even that one paragraph. You don't really see the you don't see that. Either. You gotta click the little eye, and it's tiny. And uh, I don't know. It's just, people aren't gonna do that. They're gonna they're gonna go by titles. And that in general with music podcasts, people gravitate toward what to what they like. And then hopefully, if they like the delivery and the approach of the podcast, they'll itself, try new stuff too. Exactly. And so the episode I listened to is another band and another album we had done, and it was garbage. And their album, Not Your Kind of People, and the song from the album, Felt. Which is one of those songs that we all really felt was one of the higher quality tracks on the record. And for the sake of reference purposes, uh, we reviewed Spoon back in episode 108, and we reviewed Garbage back in episode 28. And so, on this episode, they speak to three different people. Butch Vig, who is one of the most famous modern rock producers, Mm -hmm. who's also a member of Garbage. Shirley Manson, the lead singer of Garbage, someone I've had a crush on since high school, and could listen to (laughs) talk about... Anything in her Scottish accent forever while it melts my brain. Uh, that aside, behind us, they also speak to Billy Bush, who's one of the engineers for Garbage. Um, and they talk about how... What I like about this episode is not only does Butch Vig go into, of course, how the song came to be, but they also talk about how Garbage came to be a little bit, because it, it's fairly well known, but I like always hearing the story how the members of Garbage, the men in the band, pretty much all of the pl- people who play instruments were just um, producers who weren't a band. They, they also played instruments. And they put a band together, it was all instrumental, and they released some songs, and they were like, wow, this stinks, we're missing something. Like, we need something else. You know, it and, seems like almost a no-brainer and simultaneously a really challenging uh, thing for a producer to be in a band themselves. You think they're with music all day, well, they have to have some ideas themselves. They can yeah. just, you know, work with other people, but also if they're spending so much time working with other people, they might feel like they don't have the time for that kind of, like, self, uh, self-possessed self environment, as in many ways they really should have the right to. Sure. Um, And so, but then the band talks about how they were looking for something else, and then they meet this young, poor Scottish girl named Shirley Manson. That sounds like an old American tale, if anything. (laughs) Right, which is what's beautiful about it, but she has this gorgeous voice. And it's sort of a rags to riches tale, but it's it's not in the fact, because they weren't huge hits overnight, but, I mean, they, they were successful pretty much from the first record on, and grew and grew. But Shirley Manson is one of those people who came from a tough background, and it shows in her music. And she talks about that, how writing these songs, a lot of them come from a personal place and where the lyrics come from. And it's just, I think it's fascinating when the bands not just talk about how the song was made, 
but also sometimes how the band was made. Well, it sounds like uh, she stepped a little bit out of herself for the sake of the of this episode, considering mm -hmm. that most Song Exploder episodes, as far as I've seen, do tend to really stick close to the technical. Um, we have another example later of instances where they can get a little bit more emotional. But like, for instance, in the case of Jimmy Eno, he really sticks pretty close to uh, close to the process. Um, I already explained the thing about the, the demo process, mm -hmm. you know, with the upright piano and whatnot. That's just what he heard first. And then all of a sudden, they were thinking, like, all right, well, let's try to make this sound like other artists. Um, Dr. Dre. And they considered that, and they considered certain <laughs> little elements here, and then we get another demo, which they play over mm -hmm. uh, in the episode, which is just like the bare instrumentation. They also talk about how, like, they took the, the drums and tried to replace that then with the sample kit, and they tried to get more of, like, a hip-hop... Uh, punch to it as they went but then he also talks about other things like how the solos were, were it came out of like Marvin Gaye you know the kind of uh, really uh, swelling you know orchestral solos that might be in like the middle of a Marvin Gaye track that's what they did here with like this harps harp uh, solo and there were several harp so solos toward the end and I remember in our episode when we reviewed that that was like one of the highlights of not just the song but of the album so I was really intrigued that an idea that almost seemed like like happenstance you know just picking it from out of the blue like oh, what would this sound like if we did uh, Marvin Gaye all of a sudden that ended up being one of like the key points of the track and I never even thought of that in in the course of the album but that's where it came from and what's really nice is that all this exploded view of the song itself is really showing influences. It's showing the artists themselves. It's giving a little bit of the core personality that you may not get in tabloid magazines or in little snippets of reviews or in just press releases and things like that. Having those little bits here and there, seeing them pulling from things like Marvin Gaye, really shows that, well, this is the, maybe the sort of music they like or listen to. It, it gives personality to what was just a potentially an instrument on a record you heard. Exactly. And also going back to the producer, uh, the producer does, uh, I think he's hearing a phone call. He sounds like he's not in the same room as Jimmy. Now, I don't think it was a direct interview, but he steps in at least to contribute a little bit in his part. And his explanation behind the, his work as producer is really presenting a buffet of options. Like, these are things that you can do. Obviously, you're the artist at the end of the day, and you can make the choice. So I give you what you can do with this track, and then you kind of choose it in the end. And I thought that's a very egalitarian way to go about producers, because some producers can be kind of hard asses. Yeah. And there's a lot of horror stories from artists on that. On also, that I want to jump back to something that Steven mentioned. Be clear that um, even though they did get back into the, get into the history of the band and an emotional side of that song... Um, Butch Vig dove very deep into the technicalities of the scratch track where it first started, you know, how they built the guitars, how they built the drums, how they put it together, mm -hmm. and Shirley also got into the very particular minute points of the lyrical flow, how she came up with the lyrics, where they came from, the wording, the rewrites, all of this stuff. So what I think is truly interesting about both episodes that I've heard now and what would make me go back to this podcast is that... The, the host really kind of, he introduces the podcast, but he kind of lets the, the artist take the reins. And I, it's, a, it's really interesting, especially if you're really into the artist. Who wouldn't want to hear, like I said earlier, it from the horse's mouth? Who doesn't want that perspective? That's the big point I want to address here, is that it, the host really is completely silent for the duration. He exists in the beginning and the end. He's the bump. He's just, he introduces it. He does what I would do, you know, in the course of, if I was just the spiel, and then I just shut up for the remainder. And of course, I never shut up, so I'm always <laughs> just yabbering on. In his case, he leaves. He's just like, I don't know, he lets them go. Because it, it almost kind of makes sense. Uh, and we had some contention with this over the course of, like, uh, listening to these podcasts. Podcast and whether you might prefer uh, a host being more of a present 
uh, present figure and, and whether you'd rather than just like take a back seat. But there are really times during interviews where you would just kind of want the interview interviewer to shut up. It really all depends on the interviewer's conversational style, but the main draw for an audience is always the artist. The only reason to even have an interviewer present is to steer the artist toward the most interesting questions. But in a format like this and Song Exploder, the questions kind of speak for themselves. The only person who knows how the song is put together is the artist themselves. So the best person to steer him is him. Yeah. And also, it's one of those things where, like, for example, on autographs, if you've listened to our other podcast, I, it's very conversational. But I am directing the artist in talking about several topics. It's not a specific topic, and we're expecting to expand on it. Those conversations are steered because let's talk about everything. I mean, some of the podcasts have had only a ancillary thing to do with music, and mm -hmm. had also been talking like with Graham Elwood. All we talked about was podcasting, which was fascinating. But you might not have gotten that with just a set of questions emailed to a person that they answered. You know, it, it the conversation was steered that way. You know what? It also omits the guessing game. Yeah, because at the like. An interviewer can only prompt something yeah. if he has a good idea of like where it might lead. Or, of course, then maybe if he doesn't know, then he would just be asking a very broad question. And they wouldn't seem like very key questions. It was just like, well, tell me how this happened, although I have no idea yet. He's kind of like trying to be a stand-in for what the listener might be thinking. But, again, sometimes it's just process. It's just a clear process. And I do find that over the course of what we do, we might run into a little bit of a problem. Because we, of course, spend so much time time playing that guessing game. We're sitting here and sometimes we have a little tangential discussion about like, oh, it sounds like he's kind of trying to do this with the music. It sounds like he's trying to like, you know, layer that in, but it seems like that was the core and that was the fundamental. We really don't know in the end. Which is why I always try to like steer our, our conversations away from that when we get to that point because, you know, we'll get caught up on how to describe it, which is really only the preface to our primary goal, which is really describing not what it is, but how it works. So that's always been a problem with our format, which is why we're almost a tiny bit two-faced. For the description segment, having an artist pop in to say like, hey, this is how I did it, could really come in handy for what we do. But then we just shoo them away as we start to get critical. It's ironic. But at the same time, sometimes those little parts of trying to extrapolate where an artist was coming from can be really enjoyable. Why is he doing something like this? Well, maybe he was in this frame of mind. Maybe he was doing from this sort of a reference. Maybe he's just doing something because he knows how to do it. Maybe he's trying something different because he knows he wants to be different. It's interesting to see where the, the rabbit hole can really go when you're trying to come up with reasons behind somebody when you just don't know. Well, let's put a little question here then. Me and you listen to separate episodes. I listen to Spoon. You listen to uh, the garbage episode. Mm -hmm. Um... Did you, f and we found that there were two very, very different reactions here. In, mm -hmm. in your case, it did go to more of like an emotional place. Well, while it was both. It existed in both more, worlds. More technical. I mean, oh, it was both. And it was kind of back and forth yes. on each. Do you think that a, a host could have better pulled something out of that? No, I think it was organic. I think that when you ha have the lyricist talking about the lyrics, it's going to go to an emotional place because you have the exact meaning of the song, mm -hmm. the words that were created. It only naturally, especially for a song like Felt, which is an emotionally charged song, it only makes sense that you would go that direction. So you'd equate it to more of a journal entry than anything. And a Song Exploder is merely an outlet for that that public journal entry. I mean, I guess for that specific part of the song. But keep in mind, both the producer... Uh, I mean, the engineer and Butch Vig, um, a member of the band, both stayed very technical because they were talking about the instrumentation. I think very clearly because she's writing from a personal place, of course the lead singer is going to get somewhat emotional because there's actual meaning in the words, what they mean, where they came from. Gotcha. 
But even at the same time, it's, I, I don't always want exact meaning of a song. I don't want to have, you know, the, the shroud of mystery removed from certain words or phrases or melody pieces. I like being able to invest my own idea into something like then that. Then you wouldn't listen to Song Exploder. <laughs> not I mean, always, not always. But that's what I'm saying is that's Song Exploder is taking it apart at a technical level, and that emotional connection is part of the technical level because it's how she wrote it and why she wrote it. I would flat-out describe it as, as a whole, if I was going to recommend it to anyone, as like a brief, straightforward, behind-the-scenes on the part of mm -hmm. the artist. And I, I do think it's incredibly valuable for that reason. No no criticism, just process. You know, just pure process. And I think there's a, there's a huge market out there for that. If you want something that's a little bit more on the side of what perhaps we broached in, in, in uh, that particular example, that particular episode, something a little bit more grounded in inspiration, then you might enjoy the second podcast on our list, Tap to Music, uh, hosted by Nick Johnson. And the tagline here goes, Tap to Music podcast revolves around inspiration and how it is used by music artists of all genres to create their original music. Each featured artist on the show takes the role of the inspirator, which almost feels like a coined word on their part, <laughs> as they give a creative tour of their life as a passionate music artist. On Tap to Music, you will learn new habits, gain skills, and pick up tricks that help you write music and stay inspired. Each inspirator hand picks one of their original songs and shares it with you, the listener. If you find this show inspirational, then please pass on the inspiration with a friend or family member because we here at Tap to Music launch every episode with the intention of helping you enjoy the music you listen to on a deeper level. Well, the end of that sounds very close to our mission statement yeah. in a way. Helping you enjoy the, the, the thing on, the, on, on a deeper level. But, of course, you know, we lack the artists present. Sure. The, these guys have it. And the funny thing is... When he goes into that middle portion, on Tap to Music, you will learn new habits, gain skills, and pick up tricks. It almost seems like a bit of a departure of what the episode actually is, and more of a, a sort of pigeonholing off of what Song Exploder is. But it doesn't seem like they do that. Instead, it's more toward well, your secondary series, for instance, Crash Chords Autographs, um, which is an interview show, and you get to kind of explore, well, frankly, whatever you want to. Right. But you're probably going to get both of that, both process and... Uh, and Inspiration. Well, yeah. Oh, I think that they're both educational for different reasons. One's the more technical aspect, and one's more the inspirational writing aspect. I mean, when people tell you how to write, they're not really telling you how to write. Yeah. They're telling you how they write, and you pick apart what you can pull from it. Exactly. And it sounds like that's what this is doing. So the episode we sampled and that I had listened to was um, with Aaron Jones and The Way, or Aaron Jones, actually, mm -hmm. is how it's pronounced, and The Way. And the interesting thing about that one for specific is that it starts very, very kind of nonchalantly. We get a sample of the music, and then the host just comes right in, like I would on autographs, and then talks about it. I mean, the major difference between this and autographs is I don't sample the work of the artist because I leave that up to the listener to go investigate. Um, we could. It's not a thing that I was against. It's just not something I had wanted to do in the outset. Well, you sample a lot. You sample most of it, but you're right. not past, you know, playing the role of the the foreign interviewer. Who's well, no, it's not. I sample their music new... personally. We don't yeah. play it on the show. Well, oh, this show right. does. I've got you. Um, but what's interesting here is, yeah, it comes from a place where they're just trying to find out how the artist works on any level, and they're looking to dig from what the artist has to say. From taking a specific songs and talking about the pre-production as opposed to Song Explorer's idea of during and post-production, it gives you that sort of creative insight. I, it's enjoyable just for the fact of where minds can go. Just 
how do you come up with this sort of an idea? How do you come up with that sort of an idea? Well, I that, looked... that little bit of insight, that little bit of just, you know, sort of the emotional place that songs come from can be really, really interesting, though not always like the super informative that Song Exploder does. Right. Well, because this has a very passionate host um, who, you know, participates not just in the intros, but in the course of the interview himself. And he sounds very, the, the delivery is important here. I mean, well, deliver, there really is no delivery on, on Song Exploder because it's going to be a different delivery every time with, um, with each artist. But here, the delivery is pretty constant. Uh, he sort of starts off with, by this sort of slow, like, like spiritual music playing in the background, and he speaks very, very softly and down to earth. I don't know, he's from New Mexico. Maybe they, maybe they have a more in touch with their spiritual side. Who knows? I don't know, being out in the desert and whatnot. But it, it's, it's very, like, slow and relaxed, and especially that, that interview style when he's actually talking to the person is very... It's trying to, like, get down to the personal stuff, you know? It's almost like that NPR tone or that Jazz 88 tone where they're mm -hmm. just very, very soft and almost trying to, like, soothe you into the night. But also to try to, like, put the artist into that into that uh, place himself to try to pull the the best or, or, or the worst out of, you know, the process or, or where he was, what his frame of mind was when he wrote it. So, like, for instance, I listened to uh, the debut episode out of this because it's a fairly new podcast. It hasn't been around that long. I think they only have maybe a dozen, a little bit over a dozen episodes released. And I listened to the debut, which uh, featured Kevin Heerig. And this is uh, the first episode, not episode 00, zero where they it's actually like just... It's like an intro to, yeah, to yeah, what the they're going to do. intro to the whole podcast series. But um, in the case of Kevin Heerig, he starts off with some generic questions. You know, uh, he he invites on the artists, and he's first asking, like, well, what did, what has he listened to growing up? You know, those are some, some of the obvious interview questions. And then it's, what are your favorite lyrics? What are your... What was your worst writer's block? You know, and he starts getting really into he the asked writing that on process. on the episode yeah. I listened to also. Yeah. So, so I think that's a regular for him. Some go-to things where upon which he can actually get, you know, very diverse answers. Mm -hmm. Taking all this, I mean, it becomes an argument of, well, left brain, right brain, inspiration versus perspiration. The two podcasts are, are very different takes on sort of the same sort of process. Where's the song originating from? These two combinations give you kind of like a palette in for for either thing you want to go into mm -hmm. this inspiration process um honestly the 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 episode we listened to on two feet the uh stand with uh aaron jones you said it yeah, was, aaron. was really interesting to see like what the the frame of reference the coloration between the lines of you know the bars that he's setting on the pieces of paper that i found to be a, a really cool like insight into just one artist one bit on one piece mm -hmm. but also i think the major difference is while they both do seem like different sides of the same coin the second podcast tapped music is definitely more interview focused it's more conversational focused whereas the first one is much more technical but yet also there's a there's sort of a attack onto that uh, in the course of being more interview focused, it does seem like there's a slightly scripted nature to it. Like obviously, there's that long intro and everything, um, but then uh, the questions themselves do, like as I said, they tend to be constant questions. Um, they they do vary. They definitely vary, but they're things he wants to kind of like anchor all artists back to. Maybe for the purposes of putting them on the exact same plane. Well, this inspirational plane. It sounds like is the goal is to get the inspiration of the artist, and so maybe all the questions are a way to do that. But also the same like uh, rating is the wrong word. 
word, but the same plane as far as what he's inquiring of. Mm. You know, it, in, if, if the interviewer is constantly shuffling around their questions, then all of a sudden you have the capacity to have a, a really weak interview on one hand and then a really strong interview on another, just because you were asking the right questions in one and maybe the wrong questions in the other. I think he has a goal and he set this out, especially considering he had an episode zero zero. Not all pod- podcasts do that, right. but... Many do, especially if they have a really, really firm idea of where they're going in the future. And it seems like he did. I mean, and I think that's a fair observation. I mean... Even in terms of the coined word. Who coins a word if you're not going to, like, apply it to a product? I mean, not everybody can come up with synth synth dramental. Synth dramental. That one. Yeah, I must have coined that, like deep into the series though right. <laughs> or maybe i just like started saying it as like a silly word and then i was like you know what you know what i'm writing it down yeah let's do it yeah it let's works. make it official it right. um i think what i really enjoy about this podcast i mean i think i, I, I first off i want to say i enjoy both podcasts but i think what i really liked about um tap to music is that it does feel more emotionally charged even though it doesn't really have to be i think it's because of that soft voice and the NPR feel, it does give this kind of more emotional grounding to it. And I'm back and forth. I, I would probably, maybe as a musician, I would prefer Song Exploder more because it yeah. really is perhaps the better learning tool. I think in the case of Tap to Music, this is the kind of thing where it's going to vary so much from artist to artist because how can you teach inspiration? You really can't. And that's why, I, mean, I don't know, that's the only little thing with that intro paragraph, you know, learn new habits, gain skills, pick up tricks. This is going to vary from person to person, sure. you know, more so than I think in, in Song Exploder. Song Exploder is like production. At the end of the day, you are going to be coming back to the same things. You're going to be using uh, a digital audio software. You're going to be using, you're going to have a workstation. You're going to have an interface. You're going to, you know, different types of mics that you use, different types of effects that you might apply um, on top of that. That's where you get the producer's thing. So it's just, in that case, the technical stuff may very well lead to the inspiration. I, I, as far as uh, Tap to Music is concerned, you know, it's just cool to hear about, you know, well, what led them. It's it's more of an emotional place, I agree. And also Tap to Music is one of those things where, as a fan of music, I really enjoyed it more, I think, because, like, after hearing the interview with Aaron Jones, A, I emailed him to do an interview, which, good news, um, he's going to be on autograph sometime in July or August. Ah, which is awesome. Now you're going to really ask about his experience on this podcast. But also, it you you know it got me into his music. His music was really good, so now I wanted to hear it. Yeah, because of the way he talked about it in depth. That's a big perk. I love his selection. I was really a fan of Karen of, of uh, Kevin Herrig's music. I, th- I thought you know he has almost this like sort of cool uh, indie style, yeah, like, like coffee shop vibe. Uh, but it's 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 a lot more complex. Really, really, you know, in, in inviting chord progressions, he immerses you right in. So I think the tone is appropriate. I think mm-hmm. I think that Nick Johnson knows exactly what he's doing with the artist that he's picking um, yeah. to, as well. You know, he's not going to put himself in a position where he's going to get an artist who's just like stunned on on these questions and just not going to know how to answer them, or sure. is going to find you know, well, uh, I did it for money. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that would be a big letdown, I think, for for Nick Johnson. All right, from here we'll go to another podcast that's a little different from the previous two we talked about. The next one is Music A to Z. I am really excited about this one because this is one that I've been listening to a little bit longer. Um, Not every episode, because of course it's tough, but their tagline goes very simply, understanding music one band at a time. Uh, It also continues in another area of the site. Each week, Steve and Doug Ferguson go through another letter of the alphabet to bring you an artist of possible interest. 
Now this struck me as a little strange at first. At first it was almost like, well, that's really arbitrary. Just a, a letter in any band in the world and it goes. But you know what? It's, it's a guide, if anything. It's just a format with which they can just start working through bands. You yeah. know, for us, we're really like just reaching into either our own experience with bands. You know, of course, everybody knows we cycle through, you know, Matt picks an album, John picks an album, Steve picks an album, and we cycle around week to week to week. Um, that way we are always constantly at least keeping each other uh, apprised of new bands and sometimes we reach into the depths ourselves for bands that none of us would pick you know but we often come out very surprised in their case it's just like it's it's a it's a an engine to keep them going through bands and at first i thought that well you're gonna go through a to z and what are you gonna do then they come up with themes i don't know if there was a theme for the first set but there was a theme for the second set and that was strictly canadian artists they're from vancouver so they have a vested interest in canadian artists and frankly everyone should have a vested interest in canadian artists a lot of great bands in canada i will point out being from vancouver you should have pronounced that a to z because our Canadian brethren don't Actually, say they, Z. They do say Z. They said yes. it the Z in one of um, they said the Z in yeah, one they, of they the did episodes. Yeah, in fact say Z. And in being Canadian, they, you have to get that right. That's the, right. Well, that's the episode our, our from that cycle that we all focused on was uh, Owen Paulette, which was a musician we had done. Now it was a little bit different to see them tackling a discography as opposed to when we tackled a single album, and it's a it, it was. It was kind of weird actually seeing sort of through their eyes the evolution of a single individual. That's the big thing here. I mean, the the format seems pretty straightforward. It's just two dudes chatting about like kind of almost the way we started. Just there, right? people chatting about it. It's very casual. In that sense, it's it's almost like kind of kind of rooted in in a in a I don't know, I hate to say it, like the word grassroots kind of podcast. I guess all many podcasts are grassroots in a sense. But, you know, it's it's very, very casual. It's very conversational. But it's that, that discographical thing which I find to be the most ambitious. Um, their big thing is, of course, instead of going through the album in as much depth as we do on each and every episode, they go through the artist, which is in some ways a lot more ambitious but also really broad. I'd say that there's some pros and cons to both of these, but I see more of a kindred thing going on here between them and us for at least that ambition. Let's call them our West Coast Canadian counterparts. They're guys with, like, nominal credentials, but a lot of experience now. In fact, one guy has been reviewing, at least online, for, like, 10 years. Uh, they have 50 episodes running, at least in the course of this uh, series, and a huge passion for what they do. Their episodes are also of comparable length to ours, and they spend a week with not just an album, but every album an artist has released. So, the same amount of time spent on an album as we spend on a song. It's gonna bound to, you know, curtail the album level discussion a little bit, but you kind of get more into the artist. But there's also a major difference is they're not reviewing these artists. They are simply talking about so, them. Exactly. So losing those details from album to album because they're looking at it more abroad is less of an issue because they're well, just having a discussion. Well, no, here's the thing. They they don't review in the same way, but even though we don't really review in the same way either, like we, we analyze and discuss, eventually it comes down to a one-by-one a -one monologue toward the end of our analysis. But it's strictly discussion at that point. Sure. And for them, it also is mostly strict discussion within which they do have opinions. They, it's not all just, you know, informative. They definitely infuse that review element. So it's unfair to say that they don't review. They just don't have, like, a, a big chart like we do. But also, we know that we don't advertise the chart. It's secondary. The discussion comes first and always has. 
And one of the cool features of having this more broad album-oriented, as uh, artist-oriented instead of just a singular album, is that we get a lot of history and context for what the artist is going through, where he starts, and where he may in fact be heading. Because when you when you start discussing, well, this album came out in this year. Here's what he was also doing as a side project. Or this album came out when he first started branching out on its own. This is maybe why we started getting themes of this sort in his music. It's an interesting kind of perspective on what the artist is doing. Well, they feature some of those questions in another area of their site here. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Music A to Z, to make John and hopefully them happy. The podcast where we explore music and the artists that make it. Is it talent or commercial? Is big label or is indie? That's how it's written. Is good or is it should it be consigned to the darkest regions of hell for all eternity to torture the devil with? So they definitely have opinions. Join us as we figure that all out every week in alphabetical order. Every week, we cover a new band or artist looking at their history and discography. We talk about our experience with them and then delve into their live shows and finally our recommendations. This current run for the alphabet is our look at Canadian music you may not have heard of, but probably should listen to. Full of humor, insight, and education, music A to Z will keep you entertained for hours. Very, uh, very promotional. But here's the thing, with all of that, I mean, they do address a lot of the same questions that we address over the course, at least, of our, you know, point-by-point discussions. It's just, you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about a single measure, you know, or rather, I should say, I spend a lot of time <laughs> hey, we, talking about a single measure. We hold measure. our own in a lot of those oh, discussions, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, 150, you get, when you get there. They instead start talking about things like theme work or the longer melody of a specific song that stood out, and these little tidbits really can just... They show evolution in such a way that you really only get to sit with if you're already into a band. And for them to really start pulling from the hat of, of, of grabbing A to Z or A to Z is really cool because you're getting exposed to just a, a very somewhat arbitrary but very varied group of artists. Exactly. Well, this is a somewhat arbitrary but very varied group of podcasts. Uh, yeah, here's the thing. As a result of, I think, knowing the artist more intimately than the individual work. They do wind up being more research-oriented than us. I said that up front, and I want to go into those details here. Even, like, the, the long spiels I write for certain artists, they don't always, like, get into their whole background. They're more of, like, an op-ed overview so that we can jump off into the album and we can sort of look at where they're at at this current place in time given the work we're about to review. Also, I haven't even done that for our whole history. We're, we were kind of lazy in the early days. I started really staying strict with the spiels lately. But uh, we started by mentioning the Owen Paulette episode, and that's what we all looked at here. The Owen Paulette episode, he starts off giving those research, that's things that we didn't, giving the research that we really didn't address, giving things like he started playing violin lessons at age three. I don't think we knew that. Uh, that's pretty insane. That's very, like, Mozart level, which, in fact, they address. Um, also, the fact that he wrote string arrangements for the Beirut album Flying Club Cup, which blew my mind when I heard that, learning from their own podcast. I I love the crap out of that album. And all of a sudden, that just blew that the collision of worlds. You know, Owen Paulette meets Beirut. Holy, one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, also, the fact that Owen recorded under the name Final Fantasy, didn't know that, although it's kind of ridiculous that we didn't know that, given we're so immersed in the album, it's so easy to research. It's at the top of the wiki page. First paragraph, in bold. Well, I, you know? think, I think also something important to note with Owen Paulette specifically, though, is that was a fan recommendation. Often when we get fan recommendations, we don't we do some legwork, but it's more about the fan and their experience with it because they're sharing it with us, and then we share it with the world. And when Heather recommended that album, we kind of took it from a perspective of, here's a vague background, 
Now let's get into this because Heather recommended it. Exactly. And I, even my vague background was not as refined back then. I was just kind of like, yeah, let's get to the album. I can't wait to get the album. But the, the main thing that we, we do when we focus on a singular album is we try to review it as a whole in and of itself, just by itself, in the, in the view of how it affects music, not necessarily a single person's discography, not necessarily a single person's debut or summation of a career or anything like that. Delving into careers does a different sort of turn where we go track by track and say well they start here and they evolve and they evolve and they evolve or maybe they stumble backwards or something that we heard earlier in the actual album this is what uh, the guys at a to z can do they can go well this album was just a rehash of the 2003 such and such exactly because they're talking nice about exposure right there this. in the midst of one single discussion so yeah. it's 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 fresh it's all they they take it all at once yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very it's a very enjoyable sort of a macro di- discussion on, on like a microcosm also, well, <laughs> well, then again, we go from micro to macro to somewhere in between. I mean, we are probably somewhere in between. We yeah. like albums. We love albums. But some some podcasts talk about songs. They're a discography. It's also important to note with this podcast that it's a very casual, as Steve had said earlier. You really get a sense of the, their personalities as hosts. And I think that's important because I think after 150 episodes, we've more or less cultivated personalities each, although I think we've more or less become caricatures of our personalities to a point. But that kind of tends to happen when you're an on-air personality. That said... that's Well, that's important. It's, uh, it's very important because how these guys come across are just two good friends who want to talk about... Brothers. Their brothers, I think. Oh, they brothers. brothers. Family. Oh, their family. I think. Well, their last name is Ferguson. I assume they're brothers. Uh, they're, so, but the closeness comes through in the way they discuss, and I really like that. It gives it an earthy kind of homeness that kind of brings you in, like that grassroots thing homeness. that you said in just... Yes. It, it really gives it heart and brings you in because you're like, wow, these guys are really passionate about this stuff, and they're they're joking, and they're making arbitrary side conversations. It adds a personal... Some, yeah, some of these conversations exactly. seem like they may have been going on for years, like the sort of conversations that you sort of walk in on, and it's like, oh yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, you're wrong. This we were talking about this when I was seven. The running gags and so yeah. forth. But that's why I really want to get into what uh, you brought up. Entertainment. Entertainment is a is a big thing with podcasts, and really that that was something you know. Y- if you're just talking about comedy, if you see entertainment in terms of comedy, then that's not really there so much in the first two podcasts we just discussed. You know, it's it's technical, going into deeply emotional. But this is probably one of the funnier ones, you know, and it, it, it's not like pre-written jokes or anything. It just comes out of conversation, the natural banter that you would expect. Um, also, of course, you know, the flaw in this is that sometimes you feel like it's just like goes into so many digressions and you're just kind of like, you know, going back and forth and back and forth. And you're, you're kind of getting away from the album itself because it's all done in such a casual fashion that that's just bound to happen. But hopefully if you like the style then you'll be on board and i indeed was on board uh so you know you, you take that good with the bad but also i want to talk a little bit about um some of the tools they use here some of the tools they use when they do get more in depth with the discussion and that is of course uh something we have never used over the course of podcasting and that is uh post-production you know background music examples just hard examples to show what you're talking about our whole game here, as I've explained, is to sort of describe, and it's, it's an exercise in imagery. 
you know, that's like one of the, the core tenets of, of how we approach this is because through imagery, we get to kind of connect to the listener themselves and see what imagery they might come up with. You know, we, are, we have three different people, we have three different opinions, but then after that, that's the anchor we need through which to actually start, you know, getting into the analysis and the review portion. Well, that's also because we've, since the beginning, more or less, as early as we could, have featured the Spotify playlist. So we don't want to play the music for you because... We want you to invest in the podcast and work exactly. with us. Exactly. We assume when we make the big assumption that if you're listening to this podcast, you know the album. Yeah. You know we, the album. And, and we and give you, you the have... access to it thanks to Spotify, who right. was truly the one giving you the access. Exactly. And, and then I, you have opinions on it. And then you just, you know, you want to soak up as much knowledge on it as possible or as many opinions on it as possible. That's the, how a true lover of music goes about it. But in A to Z, having the having some background pieces and some examples as they go along works so much better when you're talking about... 5, 10, 15 album spanning decades. Well, here's it an gives, example. It gives that little bit of extra context for what they're talking about to really drive points home. Here's an example. Um, they, when they started like covering his more experimental earlier work, which actually really, based on that sample, really inspired me to go back through Owen Paulette's catalog. Um, at some point, deep into the podcast, because they don't do it you know, constantly, around like 35 minutes or so, they start playing an old Owen Paulette track, particularly If I Were a Carp. And they describe it as the track plays. Of course, of course, it's added in post. He just says, all right, I'm going to play it in the background. And then he adds it later. Meanwhile, they're just discussing, knowing well that it will be added. So while this is playing over the course of their discussion, despite of the direction the, the discussion's going, I'm getting kind of chilled by this track as it's going. And I'm definitely going to be diving in this week, I think, to his older albums. Frankly, it had me more intrigued than some of the things on In Conflict. Uh, despite my feelings on that album, was pretty strong. But the key thing that had me was when he actually started reading some of the lyrics there. And the lyrics, you know, he described as very Kafka-esque. And suddenly, you really feel the power of the lyrics that we constantly look at whenever we go through albums. And we might explain, well, when they're being sung, the lyrics get lost on you, right? So we read lyrics a lot. But to hear the lyrics read by, I believe it was Steve Ferguson, reading these lyrics over the Owen Paulette track itself, especially during one of those more harrowing instrumentals, where there are no vocals to sort of interfere with it. Instead, he's just reading the lyrics, and this music is getting more and more tense in the background. That was a pretty great podcast moment, you know? And I'm sure they have it throughout much of their the rest of their compendium. It's, um... It's a big perk. One of the biggest perks I've seen, at least as far as uh, the two-dude podcast, you know, uh, dynamic. It. I think what I really overall enjoy about this podcast is, like I said, the kind of setup of it, the nature of it. I think that it's really, if you want someone who's, two people who are just having a conversation about music, this is where to go. Though they do have opinions and at the end really truly do say whether you should probably check it out or not, at its core, it is just a chat. And it's cool to kind of dive into that chat. It's a chat. It can be a casual chat at times. It can be a heated chat at times. It's all the things you'd expect with a chat. Of course, with us, a lot of times we come to the point where we're talking more to the mic than to each other. Um, that wasn't always that way. I don't know when that happened. It benefits in some ways. It doesn't benefit in other ways. I don't know. See, I don't even see you guys right now. Where are you? I don't know. I see that little green light. No, no, that's not true. You're looking back and forth into uh, Matt's deep deep eyes. Oh, that's right. That was earlier. No, yeah. but ever Call since back. then, I've edited him edited him out. We are not perfect. You can't make up that stuff. Um, <laughs> also, last little thing here, and this is just a little, a, little, a little thing I'll throw over to those guys if they ever listen to this. Sound quality-wise, they could use a touch or maybe a bundle of compression in their work. Some peakiness I noticed, and believe it, 
we had our problems with this, especially if you look at those earlier episodes. Please, never listen to our earlier episodes. Um, we had the similar problems owing, to, I think, to the echo of the table, like we recorded on. It would sort of, like, bounce back at us, and we were using Audacity at the time. That was back when you, Matt, were, you know, uh, Doing all of the editing. All yeah. of the editing, and, and, well... Yeah, it wasn't a good idea. Thanks for giving that to me. <laughs> it's okay. You and, don't have anything else to do, so, you know. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, as... This is why you're executive producer and producer. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You are both. <laughs> anyway, who knows what these guys use? But I do know that you know after like episode thirty or something, when I took over, I started using sonar as our DAW. I sort of applied more and more compression every week. You know, we use a USB mic. It's not high tech here. At some point, we've shifted to an elk couch, then at some point landed back at a table, and this time with padding galore, with a little gap in the early hundreds where we didn't actually have padding, and it went back to being crappy audio again. But now the table's covered, you know, acoustic curtain behind the direction of the mic, um, and even back in episode uh, 119, when we reviewed Owen Paulette's album In Conflict, we still had similar problems, but after that, it's a little more refined. You get more of a warm sound, which is, I think, important, and, you know, it's something I would just throw by them. The, it eliminate that peakiness, and then all of a sudden you just get the warmth of voices that are just as passionate as ours or the artist in questions. That's fair enough. Um, the next podcast we're going to talk about is actually one that I brought to the table, um, not the physical table, the table at large. Um, is <laughs> Well, the physical table, we're all sitting around it. That's true, too. There you go. The podcast is called Jono Radio, and uh, anyone who knows me and knows this podcast knows I'm a huge fan of The Nerdist, where I'd first heard Jonah Ray, who's one of the co-hosts sometimes. Um, Jonah Ray, Matt Meyer, and of course, Chris Hardwick. Um, Jonah eventually, because he often talked about on The Nerdist how much of a music fan he was and how into the indie scene he was. He used to be a drummer, all of this stuff. He someday wanted to do a music podcast, and so he did. He started his own called Jonah Radio. What I like about Jonah Radio is it's kind of a hearkening back and also a tongue-in-cheek jab at the really ridiculous radio shows of the 90s. Um, but what I like about this show is that it can be about music, but doesn't have to be. He always features artists that he's interested in playing, usually on a two to three song level, to break up the show, where he'll just play a song. And that but, is very much reflected in their tagline. Joni Ray has some friends over to his house to drink, listen to music, and converse with sexy results. <laughs> You can't even. <laughs> For someone who, like myself personally, that grew up with 92.3 playing and having the Howard Stern shock jock every morning to school, which was probably not the best thing in the world. Every for a morning? Young, every morning. You started the day with that? Yeah, in uh. elementary school, having Howard Stern. Uh. Yeah, probably not the best thing in the world, but I loved it. it Ladies was and gentlemen, your credentials, John Sanders. <laughs> shock jock. I mean, he... <laughs> To some extent, coined the phrase shock jock. And yes. this is what they're producing right here. That's what Jonah Radio really seems to be. Sort of like a podcast version of, of, of such a thing. It's kind of a, a great idea for a throwback. It's, uh, it really comes off as very off the cuff, which makes it feel very natural when there's a slight little flub when the music doesn't play exactly at the right time. He's got, you know, a, a two or three seconds, you know, gap to fill up with just a little bit of a spiel. It's, it does seem like it's both conversational and just a fun time. Just a bunch of guys hanging out. Exactly their tagline. Well, there's a spectrum there where you got to you got to decide where you're going to be uh, as a podcaster. And the precedent is partially set by radio, or almost totally set by radio. But, of course, podcasts can go in any direction they want from there, using that framework, that frame of reference. And that is, uh, do you want to be NPR? Do you want to have the soft, soothing voice? Or are you going to, you know, <laughs> fart sounds, you know, every other way? I'm not saying it's necessarily what this is. It actually, I, I don't think Shock Jock is a very fair comparison. I mean, it's not like 
glued front to back, but it uses a lot of the same tricks. You know, it's clear there that there's not a lot of post-production stuff going on. He's got a soundboard, and he will he will press a button on impulse if it suits him, if it if it pleases his fancy. And what's also interesting about this is that, you know, he'll have guests that are music-related and also sometimes guests that are not. But he always features music, and that's what makes it a music podcast, at least on the larger scale, is he always features two or three songs. Like, for example, one of the episodes I listened to was when he had both Chris Hardwick, of Nerdist fame, and Weird Al Yankovic on, who is one of Chris's closest friends mm-hmm. and has become friends with Jonah. And they talk about music, they talk about movies, they talk about TV, but then he also features several songs, like Lisa by Don't Stop or We'll Die, which is an, a band made up of comedians who make legit indie rock, yeah. not comedy indie rock. You know, he features, of course, Albuquerque by Weird Al, which we talked about on our podcast when we reviewed Running With Scissors. He He's building this kind of community show around his fans because he is a comedian. He has a fan base, also from Nerdist. And so he just created a radio show where he can share his music and his friends with those fans. And let's address the entertainment uh, quality and along those lines. I mean, this is very high quality compared, for instance, to some of the previous ones we looked at. You know, this is the separate mic thing. They are all separately mic'd. This, he's got a system. He's got a setup. And I really do think that deep down it, it, it does improve the entertainment factor because you hear everybody more crisply and you start reacting as if you were in a professional studio. He probably is in a professional studio, even if it's just in his home. He's probably still got a good setup. It also, though, makes it a tad more ubiquitous because then, of course, you know, now that you're kind of being unconsciously, as John was inclined to do, placed in, like, the shock jock, you know, category, sometimes it's not always what you want. You might not prefer a separate mic, you know? We do pretty good with just one mic, in fact. Actually, sometimes it's more natural for the purposes of a group conversation, because you hear everybody nice and evenly, you know? You don't really need a pop filter, you just kind of get the ambiance of the room and the uh, environment in which questions are, are being hashed out but then all of a sudden when you're like on the radio and you have like headphones in and it sounds like that's kind of what's going on here you know it's a little bit it, it changes the tone a little bit i think it enhances the comedy but it puts us in a whole different category you can't do for instance what uh what steven doug of music a to z were doing you can't right. you just can't be in that environment you can't be that casual you are going to be going back and talking to the mic Yes. But that said, I mean, this at its core does have a lot of similarities to any other interview show. The only difference is Jonah Ray will always play music. He will always make the artwork for every episode a spoof on an album cover, usually featuring him or a drawing of him. Um, and I think it's really, you know, a mix of the Nerdist meets a music podcast, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And he brings on his friends to talk, but also injects his only personal opinion of music and the bands he wants to share with the world. It's, it reminds me of Mark Maron. Yeah, Just well, a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah And he's, he, of course, is one of the more known comedian podcasters out there. He Big series. Kind of, kind of pioneered the genre. Yeah. And from my point of view, it's also that final little transition of what I loved about the radio before the radio became what it is today. Making the transition to the new medium. Making the transition to the podcast, the pre-recorded, and the more ubiquitous anybody can get a hold of it area of the internet. That's just the thing. This really just flat out reminds me of radio. Like, I don't think this is necessarily the kind of thing that it doesn't need to be a podcast. And that's not to to say anything. Of course, most, many radio shows are simply doubled and copied as podcasts because it used to be, well, if you didn't hear it, that's it, lost the time. Well, now all of a sudden they're archived and you can go back and you can get old radio episodes because they're just they 
the format they arrive in in you know posterity is the podcast well and all of that's NPR, just what this sounds like just about all of npr is reproduced as podcasts like their yeah. radio shows that air on npr exactly and they're also featured as podcasts. and they were they were the ones who were really quick to pick up on that uh, yeah. on that pattern so i think uh, and for me personally as someone who's met jonah ray and who is a fan of his work it's really cool to kind of get that inside, just like if you're a fan of Chris Hardwick, get that kind of inside personal touch, but still get some music, because he always... You get the, the music thrown in there, yeah. actually, in the same way you would get it thrown in on a, a, a radio series, right. a radio interview. Right. Let's like, take let, a break, and now, while we're taking a break, here's so-and-so with so-and-so. And hell, we do that. Yeah, you know, we do that. If we have a guest, a lot of times we try to do at least three uh, recordings, if we can, one in the beginning to sort of jump us off, and then one in between the big album discussion, and they're in the interview of them. Or and topic. Then, or topic, and then one at the tail end to yeah. send you off. And we time them appropriately. It's the same exact concept. It's just here. It's done usually live. Yeah. Um, well, not necessarily live. I don't mean live as if they were actually, like, they're playing. But, you know, they're sitting presently, and then all of a sudden it's just like, let's pause. And now, a as if you just took the mic away for a minute, you have a breather. You have a breather to say, like, this is working. This is not. And you have about three minutes to hash that out. Then suddenly, you're back. Just like you would on an actual radio show. Exactly. Um... From here, though, we can move on to another podcast that um, Steve had actually recommended. The Classical Performance Podcast. Well, considering we were talking about NPR, this is on NPR, and it is very, very NPR. It's hosted by Alan McClellan, or at least he, he hosted this particular episode. I, I think they have a, a, a group of people who actually interview and travel to all the different places. In part, this uh, is a bit of a faux pas because it relates with one of the earlier things I said we were not going to do. There are a lot of classic performance uh, podcast episodes which are, in fact, just music. All right, and that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about p podcasts that actually look at at the discussions that take place. But there are a few that stand out here when they get the chance to interview with the performer themselves, usually just before, usually just after. They don't seem to take place in a studio, but instead more in a music hall environment as they are about to perform. So in this case, I looked at an episode, which is fairly recently. It was just the episode before last as of the time this is aired, or maybe two episodes before last as the time this airs. Um, Bach with Sergi Shepkin. And particularly, it's on a, a certain piece or something he knows a lot about as a performer. The Capriccio on the departure of his most beloved brother. And that would be Bach's most beloved brother, who was a, a brother who had volunteered to the King of Sweden and his army as an oboe player in the army band. And at some point, he passed away around uh, 1704, and that's when this piece was written. It deeply moved Bach. And Bach was not the kind of composer who really did a lot of this stuff, who really, like, you know, this is something I'm composing based on my life. At the time, this was called programmatic music, music that really, really attempts to tell a story over its course. This is 1704 we're talking about here. We don't even get close to talking about, even though as, as a classical background guy, I would, of course, love to have this opportunity over the course of what we, we do. But, yeah, just we don't get the opportunity. We like to stay current and see even you know, what a contemporary classical composer might be doing right now. We stay current. But here, we're going back, we're reaching into the past, and we're doing to a 1704 piece what we still might do and speak about the different sections and the different movements and what they, how they impact the listener and what's being done. Part education and, and part analysis. But one of the most intriguing little parts that happens uh, during the course of this podcast is there's discussion, there's discussion, and then the words... Sadness in major get done, and then all of a sudden we hear the piano, and that yeah. little bit, that right there, well, was similar. more education 
about what something like sadness in major could be, represent exactly. than anything else I've ever really heard when talking to musicians. And this really hits harder uh, the, the question of you know uh, the challenges that we have, despite that we have that niche of of course trying to be exercising our imagery and being as descriptive as possible. This is similar to you know what Music A to Z was trying to do by playing Owen Pallette in the background. You know you don't have to do too much description. They get it out of the way there, but the music will speak for itself in the background. Here, this is even more technical because this is a performer who intimately knows uh, box box work, and he knows this piece really well, and he can play excerpts of it on a dime and show the interviewer right there, show a foreign interviewer, because of course, you know, on Music A to Z, well, they know each other, so they know what they're talking about, and they're on the same page, but this is more of a, it, it's he's talking to a studio audience in the process, so everything is done really on the spot, and it's it, it commands... A lot of talent over the part of the, of the performer because, of course, that's just f flat out difficult, you know, to pull certain sections of pieces on, on a dime and especially talk about them intelligently in the process. You have to be, have so much of an intimate knowledge as you go in. When you say something like 26 accidents across, crossing the Rhine, I believe was the exact A piece line. was 26 accidents across the Rhine uh, based on the fact that, well, it's, Sergei, it's all miss keys. It's he goes all the, random tonals. And he the way he explains it and explains the history behind how this came to be as, as sort of both an aesthetic and a piece itself, combining that with the actual musical representation was, was just so beautiful when you hear the music and can kind of get a, a whole new definition to what you're hearing. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, he, what he's doing is he's walking through the history of, of, of Bach's brother. Um, Bach himself was doing that in the piece, and he's going through, well, this kind of like trying to give him a whole, a whole overview of his life. They described it as the kind of thing, you know, that a mother might tell her child before they go off into the world, you know, well, you're going to have falls, you're going to fall down. It's a very, very emotional way of, like, telling the story about how someone left home and then ultimately landed where they are, which is is deceased, you know, and all this is done through music, and he, he, he shows this in excerpts as we go, because it's a challenging thing, especially, this is a lot of things that turns people away from classical, is they have a hard time making these connections, making these leaps, and these interpretations from the music itself. Commentary can be very helpful and very educational for someone who has a vested interest. Well, also, the obvious thing here is, they can't interview the artist. Bach is no longer with us. Yeah. So, yeah, that's this it. is the next closest step, and when you take someone who's intimately knowledgeable about a piece of work that's not their own but they studied it like the, it's their own there's still you it's almost like you're talking to Bach because yeah it's history it's fact and they can talk about it as if they're presenting it as if they're that artist which is very interesting when you go to a contemporary artist where they are also presenting it as fact as the artist but this is very different. In a way, it's it's a combination of most of the podcasts that we just discussed. Uh, minus maybe Jonah Hill. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Jonah. Um, Jonah Ray. Jonah Hill. <laughs> no. Uh, Jonah Ray. Error there. Um, but it, it's, it's certainly a combination of the first three. You know, it's got that emotional core. It's got that technical core. And it's got the, you know, show by example uh, element of, of Music A to Z. As well as what all three sort of well, actually, uh, combined together. Well, actually, that even the first two. It's even got the history. It, it delves into those little tidbits. Like... Uh, at one point, he says Bach wasn't the originator of all classical music. I mean, well, he's not the original uh, originator of every idea that's ever been proposed. That's exactly yeah. it, and it's it's kind of interesting to hear somebody that obviously knows his Bach, that obviously enjoys his Bach, and to say, well, everyone's concept uh, preconceived idea that Bach is the father may not be 100% true. It's also a little bit candid that way. I mean, there's all these little things that start coming in, that bleeding in, where 
it, it, it becomes an amalgamation and a great insight into just classical music, which doesn't get touched upon enough in our society nowadays. True. Well, and also this kind of connects to our episode last week, um, where we were talking about classical music and cartoons and how that was a way of educating people exactly. back then. This is a modern way of educating people. Yes, it's not in a cartoon. Instead, it's a separate podcast featuring that music, but it's talked about in a... And I'd say the way it actually compares to Jonah, Jonah Radio and A to Z is that it's talked about in a very casual way. Even though they cover some technical stuff, they're not spouting jargon. They are presenting it in a casual and relatable way. It's a, it's a uh, casual... There's some jargon in there. There There's is some, some jargon, but it's yeah. not unapproachable. Yeah. It's not a professor, professor in the lecture hall. It's a professor at the bar explaining things to his student. Well, it's a, it's a professor with a with a go-between, which is the interview, uh, interviewer herself, as it relates to the audience present. So, you know, you you have that pattern. Of course, it can be very technical, but I, I would challenge you on one thing here. I think that this is, the, is not necessarily the kind of thing that uh, someone would just pick up out of the blue. Like, for instance, say, you know, you guys, you know, you listen to it somewhat at my behest. Because, of course, well, this is uh, uh, something I would like to, to look at. It's probably not something you would really go into just by chance. You know, um, because you have to have a little bit of background. And I do think that this NPR style, as much as I really love it, and I do think it can pack the, more, the most education, you know, per minute. Um, which is what I really appreciate. I do think that it can keep a lot of people away because it's just so, you know, soft and and uh, and, and yet also in a foreign talking about a foreign subject, especially baroque music is not uh, it's not common to a lot of people today. A lot of people aren't like in that in that ilk. But see, what I would say though is the difference between this and discovering it on our own is because it's an NPR show. A lot of NPR shows when you're listening to podcasts on NPR or you pull up NPR online, it just jumps from show to show to show. So while you might have been listening to Ask Me Another, it may then go jump into this show and where you were are not intending to hear it, it was on the program list, it comes up and you go, oh, this is actually really interesting. True. And then you go after it. Whereas all of these other shows that we mentioned are not part of a network. They are independent on their own. This is under the umbrella of NPR, which is a great way to connect to stuff you may not know you're interested in. Good point. And in truth, it is a very popular podcast. It's usually featured on, like, you know, high on the list of, of both iTunes music category uh, for podcasts and also if you're already in NPR. It's going to be high on the list, and you might be intrigued. Um, but, you know, it's really all about the, the tools in which the tools that he uses, obviously that, you know, showing the example of like a, 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 a sad major key piece, you know, is something that I could say here on the podcast and it'll all just have us kind of curious. Be like, well, major is supposed to be happy, you know, and I can just say, well, this is a great example of it. But how do you know if you haven't heard it? Of course, we do kind of expect that you've already heard it, you know, yeah. and we can just describe it for the sake of, 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 of as a perk, as a, as something that really, really aids uh, to the piece itself, because that's so challenging to do, or at least not instinctual on the part of the composer, and he can show that right there to everyone else. It's all so much like back and forth connection, play the piano, explain, play the piano, explain, you know, that's just something you're not going to get in, in, in too many instances. Um, also, in the process, you get like great musical terms that you you wouldn't get otherwise. You know, intriguing passages. Again, also experimenting with imagery as we do. From here, we go to another podcast because that's what we're doing here today. Um, called Sound Opinions. Now, I like to call Sound Opinions, and if you guys are listening, um, hi. 
Um, they are bizarro cousins from somewhere else that's not here. I say that because their format is similar to ours in the respect that they do a review oh, but and now, they do a topic. Now you're going to hurt Music A to Z's feelings. I just called them our, our, our West Coast Canadian brethren. Well, these are bizarro, oh. clo uh, bizarro clones of us. Think like Superman and Bizarro Superman. Uh, he may not get the comic reference. That's, that's no, true. I, Think I, of it I, as the Star Trek, like, they're wearing goatees. Goatees. Oh, oh, all right, yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the they do place. a topic and they do a review, but they do it in the reverse order that we do. They do the topic first, and then they do the review. Also, what's interesting is they go into a very in-depth topic with notes and bullet points and all of this stuff and go very deep into it. And the review tends to be shorter, very condensed. And whereas we are very big, active note takers and heavy descriptors of our album review, but our topics tend to be more on the cuff and on the fly. In short long review for us long review short topic them short review long, long topic. topic and in the case we actually all listened to one podcast that well it was all right up our alley going solo and the opinions on modest mouse the new album that we actually reviewed as well and Both going a solo is a topic we've done where we talk about artists who were really great great or bad when they were on their when they were with a band and then how they progressed on their own and they actually brought up a lot of the same pieces that we brought up. And it was kind of interesting seeing them sort of going on, on the soapbox and really going into how the artist kind of saved or ruined their career by going solo. To hear them actually take the art topic and, and turn it in some cases on our head, but also say a lot of the same things. It was kind of self-affirming to hear them say yes. a lot of the same things I've said. Yeah, I mean, they start off with the same spiel, like as in our, our topic segments, a kind of thesis that's like fluffed up with all these questions you know questions these are the things we're looking at you know well what are the challenges that a solo artist might face and so forth all, all these things he, he presents that in a way like i might write it in the blurb and then talk about it as just before we really jump off into the discussion and then it becomes very conversational but i notice that there's a thing here when they get to the review section and don't get me wrong i love their topic sections i think they get the chance to be more thorough than than we have since we're like at the tail stretch of our we're burned out from the review we've been immersed in it and now it's like what now we have to talk broadly uh, i have to remember things but for them you know they get that out of their system and then it's almost like the review for the review they're burned out and they're just uh, sort of like regurgitating well what their last impressions were it's not much analysis here it seems almost like pre sort of pre-written spiels you know yeah i think that their goal with the reviews is not so much to uh they rate the album on a much broader scale and i think the goal is to just pretty much say I listened to this album, this is how I feel about it, this is how I rate it. It's not so much the intricate analysis of it, but just impressions, result. And that's it. And in that sense, it's sort of like Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. Like, that's exactly the way the old show... Oh, the old, definitely came off that way. The old half-hour show that they used to have, you know, back in the 90s, where they would go through several um, movies over the course of that half-hour segment. And, obviously, how long can you spend on a movie? So, essentially, what you have is monologue from Siskel, monologue from Ebert... Maybe they'll have one little back-and-forth go-between, like a 101 as far as debate is concerned. He uh, counters, the other guy counters, and in the end, it's a thumbs-up, thumbs-down, and that's it. And that's exactly the way these two guys go about these, these reviews. It reminds me of something I actually used to do on the show. If you go back and listen to the album somewhere in the nebulous middle of our run, I would give an overall simple, simplistic rating of the album after we kind of reviewed it. But I realized it was kind of counterintuitive to what we did. While there was nothing wrong with doing that... You know, buy it, burn it, 
praise it. Yeah. I just, I felt like it was kind of redundant. Oh, I forgot about that. I did it for a while. It was, it was inspired to me by actually a YouTuber that I watch who reviews games. His name is The Completionist, Gerard. And he does like this big long video about a game. And then at the end, he surmises it. But the difference is, it's, it's, the, the whole video is leading to that. Whereas us, we were giving our ratings and then I was doing that. It just seems superfluous after a while. So I stopped doing it. But this, here, it definitely seems like that's what they're doing. It's, you know, one, one reviewer said that the, he'd trash it, and the other one said buy it. It's essentially just giving a very simple perspective on how you should feel about the album and how you should go about it. Very divergent. Yeah. And that's, that's a case where, you know, for anyone, you know, that is, like because there is a lot of that out in the market. You know, sure. I, I definitely think that as far as sound opinions goes, I'm not sure I would go to them for their reviews. I can confidently say that. But I would go to them for their topics and their interviews. Because uh, there was another episode I looked at them, and this was uh, Laura Jane Grace of Against Me um, and Blur. Well, the Blur thing is beside the point because it's the same exact spiel as Modest Mouse, you know. Uh, monologue, monologue, react, react, done. But the interview of Laura Jane Grace put into his perspective a lot of things. And we reviewed uh, their um, album Transgender Dysphoria Blues back in episode 81. And it was it was a trick. But also I remember, like, you know, we didn't have the same perspective on it at the time. I realized that this thing has been, been played a lot ever since then. And it's kind of grown on me ever since. And especially to emerge into uh, into Laura's whole spiel on what was going behind that. Because, of course, we know it's very, very on the nose as far as a, a transgender dysphoria process, you know, since she was going through it right at that moment. But it's it's... To hear this interview from an experienced interviewer, I think, again, more that from the horse's mouth perspective, this is the kind of thing that I also feel like this would, this does as well here as it would do on uh, Tap to Music, for instance. And I feel like you get some of the same things, and this is where it's really going to cut with, with artists like this um, and albums like this that have such a big impact, especially if it's a personal album. I want to make something very clear here that we are talking about these podcasts as listeners. Um, we are not the end all be all of podcasts. Like we like to preface every once in a while with our interview, with our reviews. We're just telling you how we feel as a listener of podcasts. Um, I think that their review style is designed for the kind of person who wants a quick and dirty review. They're not looking for intricate details. They just want to know, well, what did this guy think? Yeah. And that's not what we do anyway. So I don't think that their review is is better. Their review style is better or worse. It's just a different breed. And if you want that quick and dirty, get it or don't get it, go to them because that's what they do. And I mean, whether it's how accurate it is or not, I mean, you're not looking for accuracy. You're looking for two dudes' opinions, and they give that. Which is why I immediately shifted the discussion to the interview. <laughs> but, you know, it, yeah, it's take what you can get it. Frankly, it's right there in the title. Sound opinions. How broad can you get there, you know? They know that they're trying to tackle a lot, just like we're trying to tackle a lot. And, you know, eh, you're going to run into similar problems. Final podcast that we've listened to would be Completely Beatles, part of uh, the SneakyDragon.com network. It is sadly a podcast that is now over, but it did something a little bit unique and a little bit right up our alley. What they did was, uh, Ian Boothby and David uh, Dedrick, they reviewed the Beatles albums in chronological order. And this is a very curious thing because we've talked a couple of times off air and a lot of times on air uh, about doing retro reviews, about going back and picking our favorite XYZ albums from way back when growing up, such and such. What they actually did was uh, very similar to what we do when we do an album review. We go track by track, song by song, and talk about it within the context of the album itself. In particular, I fell in love with their Sgt. Pepper's review. But what's curious is, and while we are 
attempting to go analytical with all these new albums well, that we're, we're, we're very close to the album. Yeah. Uh, in their case, Completely Beatles seems to really step out of that and attempt more of a documentary-style thing. It's a lot more, again, combination of various aspects we've talked about today, and that brings us to, you know, where was the artist at the time that they were writing this? And that that's a very... It's also common knowledge, you know, just like we were talking about Bach. Well, frankly, as far as 20th century culture is concerned... Um, the Beatles have achieved the same level of, of, uh, of, of mystique. So it's common fact, especially ever since the, the Beatles anthology was released, everybody kind of knows what the Beatles were doing at, at, at certain moments in their career. You can go over this stuff again, and you can kind of combine that with the analysis that we do. And that, I think, seems to sum up what Completely Beatles is over the course of the podcasts that were finite. You know, you there are only so many Beatles albums, and so the the podcast is a miniseries. It ends. Yeah, and it was a it was a very interesting story of, well, they wrote this song, and then this was the meaning that they said about it. But there's also things you can refer about it, and they brought in instruments with that song that were a little bit different, and a little bit more unique. And listening to it, just as a fan, I would love to see other people doing this for other albums for other. Uh, locations and styles of music and other bands because it's it's sort of bringing once again the same way that classical performance brought in Bach and classical music to the modern day it's reintroducing the Beatles to this generation right and other bands really need to have that happen to them it would be great to see someone really delve into Elvis Presley it would be great to see someone delve into Miles Davis it'd be great to see people approaching the history and trying to redesign it and reintroduce it to uh, modern-day people, to Essentially, the people who may not have heard it before. I said you're proposing a series of miniseries. A series of miniseries, yeah. As essentially, yeah. yeah, that in a nutshell. I mean, that I think, yeah, that would, especially the names that you threw around there, it would really only be appropriate, I think, for the greats or the ones who've like uh, indelibly edged their name into history. And it would be just an interesting idea to not just see the evolution of the band, but to to see it and how it can sort of have repercussions on today's music as well. well I think it's also important to note that this podcast is not trying to re- redesign the wheel as far as the music they're reviewing. Hmm. Like they're they're doing they're in depth research and telling stories about the Beatles, which you yeah. can get other places as well. The but, fact that uh, uh, When I'm 64 was actually a song that they used to sing when the music used to go out, when the electrical went out, when they were touring in Germany. Why they stopped mm. touring in between, uh, right before they started doing Sgt. Pepper's. How, uh, what's it called? Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields were both written before Star- Sgt. Pepper's and both influenced the album when you're looking at Paul's side. But John was actually going in a completely different direction. To really see the personality of... The Fab Four come across in the music they were making at the time they were making Well, I would wager that these guys probably do come out with stuff that hasn't been covered in the Beatles anthology, and also probably that there will be more stuff coming out about the Beatles throughout the 21st century. I mean, it's just endless fascination. And also the idea that it's being done by fans. They are clearly fans of the Beatles. They are not partial impartial judges of the music and they love the Beatles you don't have to argue that it's a draw also because it's the Beatles <laughs> yeah I mean the idea that they're taking a complete discography of one of the most famous bands of all time will be a draw but I think oh I see it's a cheap it's shot fact- now that's well, no no no, well, no. I it's think- the fact they actually do it justice 
they really do show that they have a lot of heart and soul in what they're talking about here. They are fans of the music, but they are still objective enough to go and recognize what works and what doesn't in the pantheon of Beatles. They're not comparing it to the pantheon of music. I don't think that's the goal. The goal is to compare it to other Beatles' works and, and just chronologically go over what they did and why it worked and why it didn't. So there, there is a, a distinct, um, you know, they'll address something if they don't think it worked. Yeah, yeah, they did talk about it, and even on Sgt. Pepper, which, while everybody's favorite Beatles album is, in fact, the best Beatles album, in my humble opinion, they talked about how when you have Within You, Without You was kind of a not very good starter to the B-side. Everybody, no, I think that was the end of the... No, it's That was the beginning, yeah, beginning, you're right, of, it was the beginning of the B-side. And um, have it go into some of the more interesting pieces. I mean, you, you leave off with... Uh, for the benefit of Mr. Kite, which coincidentally, John Lennon actually wrote uh, viewing a poster from a circus that was for, quote, the benefit of Mr. Kite, and half <laughs> those lines are drawn from that poster that he had above piano. A great story. I loved hearing it. Um, well, I do. I, like I, I, I hear about what you say post. about, you know, the within you, without you thing, and I think that that's almost the reaction that just about everyone had when they listened to that album, and that, or at least what's been passed through time. You know, I feel like I, I feel that way about that track less because I felt it when I first heard it, but because I heard my parents say the same thing. You know, it's the kind of thing that passes through. It's like, yeah, that's kind of a throwaway. But then I learned to sort of appreciate it. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's that flavor of... of uh, of 1967. Despite that, I remember completely Beatles makes that point too, that well, not everything was a flavor of the year. It was a well, flavor no, they, of what, what the Beatles saying. were doing in that singular moment, and it doesn't really, doesn't really define anything as a whole. They were impulse followed by impulse. And a lot of their earlier albums were flavors of the year, and a lot of their later, later albums were flavors of the year, where you can actually define the album by a specific thing. But orchestral? No, that's just a specific song. Mm. Sitar? No, that's just a specific song. Organs? No, that's just a specific song part from that one little bit that was yeah. on a B-side. It's It was... The reason why that was my favorite, version, uh, favorite episode they did, it was an incredible insight into just the stories and sort of like the myth and the history surrounding the Fab Four. The idea that we're probably not going to get a podcast where all the Beatles discuss anything because we've lost some of them. But this is the next best thing because they're citing specific stories of the Beatles. Right. Um, now I'm going to ask to wrap up our conversation on this podcast, a very pol- polarizing question that I don't think actually come up on the air. Hmm. I want us all to say who our favorite Beatle is. Not why, because that'll take us on a road that we will never finish. How fitting we get to I just We've all talked end about our, our favorite discussion and, I think end, so. our, end our episode with a Beatles discussion. But I would like to, for the fans to know, because I don't honestly remember either, who everyone's Beatles, favorite Beatle is. Nowhere man something. George Harrison is is a god amongst mortals. Period. George Harrison is also my favorite <laughs> Beatle. Um, he, um, Here Comes the Sun is one of the most beautiful, truly sweet songs ever written. While it is unfair to say that any that the Beatles would exist without any Beatle, of course. Sure, of course. I want to say very, very firmly, and it's not a new thought by any stretch, that the Beatles would not exist by any stretch without Paul McCartney. Okay. Well, I'm Paul not McCartney asking their I, existence. I, I'm exact asking your favorite. My favorite Beatle is Paul McCartney. Okay. I believe that that is what, what really, really etched them into time because of his ditties, as you know, John Lennon once once sort of... He was a slice-of-life guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways. He was a Eleanor slice of Rigby. life, and lo- uh, John Lennon was going for, for something greater, perhaps, but more in meaning as opposed to sound. Paul McCartney is the source of a lot of that sound. 
um, you know, to say nothing for his later work, and you can kind of tell because of his later work. You can tell because of the stuff that Paul McCartney did in the 70s that he was a big, big part of the Beatles. He's my favorite because he was also the Renaissance man. You know, I know that George Harrison did a lot. I know that John Lennon did a lot. Paul McCartney did just a little bit more. If he had to stretch his, uh, his tentacles into something else, he would. He learned piano for the sake of the Beatles project, you know, and, and then would hand it off gr- graciously to, um, to the fifth Beatle, which was, uh, you know, keyboard guy. The keyboard guy, remember the keyboard guy? Yes, remember the yes. keyboard guy. Leave it to Steve to take a question I asked and completely ignore what I asked. He's my favorite Beatle. Yes, what but then you went on to a spiel about why he's the best Beatle, and that's not what I asked. Oh, well, you yeah, know, well. I don't know, George Martin was a great Egos. I do like, though, Still that none of us around. mentioned John Lennon, which I enjoy that. because John Lennon was the writer. Have... He was the author of so much stuff, but John Lennon, he his, his wordsmithing, and he was one of the people that I fell in love with, because of the way he was able to write his words, it's it was he was greater because of the other parts that were integral to the Beatles. It's just that his songs did not impact me the way George did. I think uh, John Lennon was the icing on the cake. I'm stopping this discussion <laughs> now because it will be another two hours before we stop, That's which is what I was trying to now avoid. And nobody mentions Ringo, well, which is so sad. Poor it's, family. Uh, Google the. Hey, Ringo was exactly what the Beatles needed. Yeah, it's true. The funny man who could keep rhythm. Shut up. And did a hell of a job doing so. Anyway. Um, I don't want my drum solos in Beatles. <laughs> I uh, really hope you guys enjoyed this discussion of contemporary podcasting to us. I mean, we really wanted to kind of just show where we are as an audience. I mean, I've mentioned many podcasts on this podcast, like Comedy Film Nerds, which I interviewed Graham Elwood from, who's also a comedian. And the of Nerdist, course, the, uh, the Nerdist. Which I never showed oh, up about. Oh, did you, did you bring up the Nerdist at least five times this episode? I believe so. I believe you did. Nerdist. Now I did. Okay. Um, anyway, I it was important for us to kind of, I think at this point, express that, you know, we're, we're, we're always trying to express that we're people who just do this because we like doing it. But we also wanted to show that we've listened to other shows that we might think you like. And the end goal today was nothing but to promote people who we feel are, are in our vein. We want you to have options and listen to other music stuff in our besides vein, us. doing something different, doing something un- unique in its own right. Yes. Um, I want to take a moment, of course, to thank all the guests we had over the last podcast year, which is not the same as the calendar year, both on Autographs and on the main show. I am not going to thank everyone by name because then I will leave somebody out and I refuse to do that. There's a lot of you. Yes. Secondly, of course, as every year, I want to thank my co-hosts. Um, Wait, you want to thank all the guests? I can do this. Can you? Yeah. Uh, thank ev- back to win. So thank every guest from now until the, the, the episode 50 and autographs. Can you do both? From episode 50 to present? Yes. Episode 50 to present. I, thank I, you, Painless Parker. Thank you, uh, Nate Ryder, again, second time, not including the first, because I know what you asked in the yeah. confines of that. Thank you, Hops. Thank you, Sarah Biz. Thank you... Kim and Sage of Head Over Heels. Head Over Head Feels. Feels. Head over. I caught the pun and said the pun wrong. <laughs> thank you, uh, Suzanne Pike of the Barbaric Ops. Thank you, uh, Lewis Logic. Thank you, Mark and Chuck of Afterbirth Monkey. Thank you, J. Robert Coppola, as we build him in that particular episode, a.k.a. Joe Rude. Thank you, Galatea, the living statue. Thank you, Molly Herbert Wilson. Thank hey, you. Wilson. Yeah, well, okay. Nicknames. You didn't nicknames. Uh, thank you, Rashmi. Thank you, Share for the Dark Lord. Thank you, Circadian Clock. Thank you, uh, Kita Sincere, for the second time. 
Thank you, Painless Parker, for the second time, even within the confines of this. Thank you. Oh wait, I miss Tony Catalano. He's a member of us, and I miss Tony Catalano. Thank you, Tony Catalano. Then, 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 thank you, uh, uh, Painless Parker. Parker. And uh, finally, thank you, um, Robert. 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 Yeah, Robert yeah. James James Prinebush, as it's pronounced. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, because you explained that to me. Don't forget. Interestingly, because it's by. You know, think yes. by b u y p r u y. He's just, he's just doing things now. Now I'm just like stolen, yeah. And uh, finally, thank you, Devin Jackson Mullen and Andy Heidel and uh, Chuck and Ed of Fermented Zen and Bounce, though non-respectively because I said that in the wrong order. Thank you. Um, <laughs> as, as far as autographs goes, I might speed that up. Um, I don't know that I can thank all of the guests, but I do want to make a special special thank you if she's listening to Shauna. Shauna is my contact at um, Pavement Records and. A lot of the guests on autographs have been through my personal connection to certain musicians, but supplemented by Shauna, she is connected with me with many artists like um, Spider One of Powerman Five Thousand, Ryan McCombs of Soil, um, Mark Young of Head PE. Uh, an episode that's coming out the week this airs. Um, I'm interviewing Alexis Brown of Straight Line Stitch. She's provided with many, many artists to interview, and it's been a pleasure working with her, and I hope they continue to come in, because it's also a great way for me to discover new artists as well. Um, I, of course, also want to thank the fans, the fans who listen. We appreciate your feedback, comments. Um, I also want to thank people who have re recommended albums, from Kristen Vislaki to Star F to Heather, and everyone in between that we've had recommend albums. Um, do you validate us because you show that you care enough to not only listen but then want our opinion on something you like and, and or hate sometimes and hate we haven't read it but in the new season we will star f thank you for your thesis explaining why you liked our episode and giving your points as well you are the first person to ever do that so thank you it means a lot to us tremendously um also i want to just preview quickly like i've done in these episodes guests coming up i have uh joe benjamin of joe and the mighty hand he's going to be joining us in july and then as it's been prophesized, in the month of August, in the final Monday, it's the return of the wizard. For his third time on Crash Chords Podcast, we will have Nelson Lugo. Yay, yay. I can't wait. He's coming back and he's going to Tommy bring us... Nerd. I'm hoping he's still bringing the album he planned on trolling us with the last time he was going to come on when he had to cancel. Which so one? He never told me. Uh -huh. So we'll see. Um, so Surprise troll. Look forward to that. Um, I did mention Alexis Brown, who I interviewed uh, the week this went up. So check that out on uh, Autographs. That's coming up on its one year, which I can't believe I've been doing that for a year also. And now I will go into our album for next week. Um, it's my choice again, and this is an artist continuing in the theme that Steve started, um, of very talented female composers who are also artists in the pop-ish genre. Um, if I mention this band's name, you will definitely know them. They've done tons of music, and they are very well-known and very popular. Florence and the Machine? Correct. Ah. They have a brand new album, and the album is called How Big, How Blue, how beautiful. Um, mm. Florence and the Machine is one of those bands that certain songs can immediately make me cry on cue every single time. She has beautiful, beautiful striking vocals, and I'm so excited to do their album in the vein of both St. Vincent and My Brightest Diamond. Florence and the Machine is in that vein, and so I'm excited to add that to Very interesting. the catalog. They are not a band I have gone into in depth. I really only heard the hits in passing. I like them all. Let's look at the album. Same here, yeah, same. I've never actually delved into them. So, 
It'll so, be interesting. So it should definitely be interesting. So that's what we're bringing But if you you're putting week. them on St. Vincent and my brightest, I mean, you're <laughs> promising a lot right up front. I know. You I know I am. Based on their previous works, it is on par. So we'll see what the new works is. Also, it'll be on episode 151. It's exactly 100 episodes after Godsticks. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He's really waiting for that new Godsticks album. Oh, it's it's emergence. It's I'm waiting coming. for it to emerge. It's coming. That's okay, Vice Quadrant. The new space rock opera has been announced that it's actually coming out this year. Steam so Power Draft. Yeah, I know. It's um, great. Um, so, again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for celebrating three years with us. And remember, music is life. And, and life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.